Physics World. Hello, and welcome to the Physics World Weekly Podcast. I'm Hamish Johnston. Today's episode is devoted to quantum science and technology in the run-up to our Quantum Week, which we are celebrating on the 14th to the 18th of June. Coming up, we're going to preview some of the exciting content we have lined up for next week, and I'll take a quantum quiz, so stick around to see if you can beat my score. But first, I'm joined by my colleague, Margaret Harris. Hi, Margaret. Hi, Hamish. Now, I understand that we're kicking things off on the podcast for Quantum Week by hearing from some of the newer members of the quantum community. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so in our virtual studio today are Ieva Chapaite, who is a PhD student at the University of Strathclyde here in the UK, and also Maria Violaris, who is a PhD student at the University of Oxford. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Margaret and Hamish. Hi, Margaret and Hamish. So Ieva, let's start with you. I understand you work on quantum computing and that you're interested in it from the computer science side as well as the theoretical physics side. Can you tell us a bit more about what that involves? So this is a very broad topic, uh, especially because it combines two different fields. Uh, so I'm interested in it from a computer science perspective because a lot of quantum physics is to do with information and information flow. And uh, when it comes to quantum physics and information, there's some really interesting relationships. And that's precisely why uh, people like to... Uh, investigate things like quantum computers and quantum computation. And from the theoretical physics side, of course, uh, there is a lot to do with both engineering quantum technologies and discovering fundamental physics to do with quantum uh, quantum mechanics um, and things like that. So uh, this is a, a very broad overview, but uh, I think it's the most honest one uh, of the two things. All right, Maria, that's your turn. Um, I understand your research is on quantum information and quantum thermodynamics. Um, can you tell me a bit more about that? I'm particularly interested in the quantum thermodynamics some, uh, idea because that's not not something you necessarily hear a whole lot about. Yeah, I'm generally interested in um, in the foundations of quantum information and what they can tell us about thermodynamics. A question that I find very interesting is how come the the laws of quantum physics are reversible with time, but then we have irreversibility all around us on our scale. We only see time moving in one direction, we only see X being scrambled and not the other way around. And it's surprisingly difficult to be able to connect the fact that that kind of irreversibility happens with the symmetry of all the laws of quantum physics with time. So what I'm looking into in my research is a different approach to irreversibility to try and unify these ways of looking at time on a quantum scale and on a macroscopic scale. So the aim is to try and find laws of thermodynamics that work on all these different scales. Wow, that, that, that sounds fascinating. You're both obviously really passionate about the subject. Um, how did you get interested in this area? Yeva, do, do you want to kick off on that question? Yes. So I don't remember what I read exactly in my third year of undergrad, but something I read uh, involved quantum computers. And I remember asking myself what that could possibly be, having just learned about quantum mechanics. And I pretty much didn't stop bothering whoever I could find around me until 
whichever researcher I could find around me until I found out uh, what it was about and um, very slowly started working on various different projects to do with uh, quantum cryptography and quantum machine learning and uh, currently with uh, preparing various quantum states. So it was a very slow journey, but it started with just trying to figure out what, what on earth a quantum computer is. And Maria, was it uh, was it a slow, slowly growing interest for you, or or were you interested in in quantum computing uh, as soon as you became interested in physics? Yeah, for me, what came first was an interest in in quantum physics and in um, well, in thermodynamics as well in general. So that happened just before I started sick form, and popular science actually played an important role in that because I remember reading about how things can be in two places at once and they can be entangled um, and how we don't understand how the direction of time emerges. And those concepts I found really interesting from reading popular science around that time when I was a teenager. Throughout my undergrad, I still found those questions interesting throughout. And it was only more recently before I started my fourth year of undergraduate that I found out about quantum computing and um, how you could learn quantum physics in a really interesting way from from the perspective of quantum computing. And it was really applied with all these technological applications. Yeah, I found out about quantum programming languages like Qiskit and the fact that you can yeah do quantum programming yourself. And so that led me to developing an interest in quantum computing more recently. And I found that it brought together these aspects of quantum physics and thermodynamics, the direction of time that I've been interested for a long time, interested in for a long time. And it brought those fields together nicely. It's interesting you mentioned popular science, because I think that's one of the main routes that people do get interested in physics, the other being usually having a really inspiring teacher. One thing we haven't mentioned yet is that both Yeva and Maria, you're both members of Physics World's Quantum Student Contributors Network, which is a mentorship program we run for early career scientists with a passion for science communication. And I think the quantum students have a particular challenge due to this sort of perception, you know, maybe even within the physics community itself, that quantum science is all really complicated and really hard to explain. Is that something you guys run into when you talk about your research with other people, like, you know, your friends or your family? Yeah, I think um, quantum physics has this reputation of being difficult to explain, but I quite like to think that anything that I can understand, I can explain it to someone else. And so I quite enjoy whoever the audience is trying to simplify a concept enough to be able to explain it to to them, whether they're a child or a teenager or an adult or someone with a bit of a background in physics or with no background. So I find it quite fun to just adapt the explanation to suit whoever um, it's aimed at. And I find generally... I quite enjoy explaining quantum physics using qubits, so introducing the concept of a qubit and then using that to explain how quantum computers work and then trying to kind of draw parallels with how people, with intuitions people already have about um, ordinary computers, which work using bits with zeros and ones. And so, um, yeah, I find building from from things people already know or, or if they've already heard of Schrodinger's cat or famous thought experiments, and then building up from that to, yeah, to the interesting quantum concepts is normally a good way of getting them to understand, understand quantum physics. 
Yeah, I think I agree with Maria in that I find it easiest to talk about quantum physics with just about anyone that's not necessarily in the field uh, from the perspective of qubits and quantum computation, because uh, it is often easiest, I think, to transmit ideas that may seem complicated in the form of analogy. And so while quantum physics is difficult. I think it is difficult because it requires a lot of uh, background knowledge and knowledge that you have to build up over a long amount of time. But the actual basic ideas, the things that are really interesting and fundamental and, and fascinating about quantum physics can be easily explained to someone in the form of analogy. And, you know, they don't have to be able to derive anything with it. But I think you can inspire a lot of interest and passion in the subject just by, you know, explaining everything exactly as you understand it, because uh, this is the beauty of, of studying anything, which is as soon as you understand it well, you can explain it uh, well as well, hopefully, because it makes sense to you in your head and you can try and transmit that as a story to someone else. So, um, yeah, maybe I'd say that even though it is difficult as any subject that you don't study every day is difficult to you, uh, it is by no means inaccessible. And I really enjoy talking about it with people. And you mentioned analogies there. Do you have a favorite analogy from quantum quantum science or a favorite concept to explain? I think that it does always end up being qubits because I do like computer science and I do come from that background. So I feel that for people to understand exactly why um, quantum computers are so strange, you can just break down, you know, a qubit uh, is like a bit, but here's the key difference, you know. Uh, they're both abstract things. So a bit just really means something that's a one or a zero. It can be whatever you want it to be in the computer voltage or current of some sort. Uh, and then the qubit is something that's more complicated. You know, it has other mathematical properties. And, you know, depending on how far someone wants to know, I would then tell them, you know, if it's a computer scientist, I might talk a little differently. And if it's a layperson outside of science, I might try to explain it as, you know, whatever visual way I can. I really like using visual aids as well. But I think the whole notion of a qubit and quantum computers is, is definitely a favorite and one that I always resort to when explaining almost any concept in, in quantum physics. Yeah, a concept that I really like adding in when I talk about quantum physics, I like to relate things to the foundations of physics. And so I enjoy talking about the interpretations of quantum mechanics and in particular, the many worlds interpretation, which links nicely to quantum computing because you can interpret the the branches in which the computation is taking place as being in some sense different worlds. And so I enjoy explaining to people why many physicists take that interpretation seriously, despite the seemingly very strange and counterintuitive consequences and explaining the links with, with the technology that's being built. So I, I really enjoy linking the, the foundational multiverse with the very technological and applied quantum computing research that's happening. Now I've been I've been sort of doing my best to write about quantum computers for a very long time and 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 I really do struggle often to explain things and and to understand uh things. Is there anything that you two find hard to explain? Is there a particular concept that if a you know let's say a non-quantum specialist asked you about um you'd you'd struggle a bit? I think entanglement is the one that I struggle with the most 
because I have a lot of intuition for it now. And that intuition is, as I mentioned previously, built on, I think, a lot of background knowledge, which I can't just explain in a single conversation. So I have to resort to using explanations and words that I don't think are very precise and make me unhappy. And at the same time, the concept is quite unintuitive in the world that we're used to living in. So people go away with either having not understood what I'm trying to say, or worse, probably with the wrong idea of what entanglement actually is, because it's something to do with correlations. It's something to do with the way that, you know, the mathematics of quantum mechanics works. And those things, while possible to talk about, are difficult often to talk about. No, that would be the one. And, and Maria, is there something that, that you a concept that you really struggle to get across to, um, to you know, to your peers or, or, or to your friends? I think that um, one concept that I think I explain in a different way every time, as you probably haven't found the best way to explain it yet, is why, why a quantum computer can be better than a classical computer. And so sometimes I think, oh, maybe I should explain a certain quantum algorithm. Or sometimes I try and explain kind of more generally why quantum computing can give an advantage or sometimes try and use arguments a bit like Feynman that quantum systems must be the best at simulating quantum systems. Yeah, that's something where I'm not sure what the, the best way to get a an intuition for, for why quantum computers could give an advantage is. I think quite a general point that I try and get across is that the, the more you understand about the nature of reality, the more technological capability that gives you. So in a way, it's very natural that understanding quantum mechanics gives us more computing capability. But I think finding the the best way to explain that is quite difficult. I can definitely sympathize because, I mean, even here on physics world, we sometimes resort to, oh, a quantum computer can do lots of operations at once. And that's really not quite true, but it's it captures a little bit of what the essence really is. And it's much shorter than explaining exactly what's going on. So sometimes you do end up using this sort of shorthand, but you know, as you have said, you can risk confusing people or leaving with the wrong impression when you do that. I'll just just a, one final question for both of you. Um, you know, this is a really exciting time in quantum science. You know, there's lots of career opportunities opening up, particularly with quantum startups and even established firms like Google, IBM, Honeywell getting interested in quantum computing, and that's in a way that wasn't happening even just five years ago, never mind sort of 10 or 15. Have you had any thoughts about what you might like to do once you finish your PhDs? I mean, where, where do you see yourself fitting into this exciting world of quantum opportunities out there? I don't really have a plan. I have one big uh, wish, which is to keep learning more about quantum physics in whatever way I can, whether that's in academia or in industry. Uh, so I will likely stick around and research for a while. Um, and I think it is very lucky to be in this position at a time where, as you said, Margaret, these things are blowing up in some sense and uh, no one knows where it's going, but everyone is excited. And to echo Maria's point, the more we learn about the natural world, the more likely we are to improve our technologies and our technological capabilities. So I think that whatever I end up doing, I would like to stick with quantum physics and potentially with quantum computing. And hopefully that'll lead to to some interesting research in the future. Yeah, I'm also definitely planning on staying in the, the quantum area in some way. 
Um, I'm really interested in enjoying the foundational research that I'm doing at the moment. So one option would be to carry on uh, doing that. But I also um, enjoy interacting with industry, both with startups and with more established companies. So it would be, um, yeah, also an option to look into what opportunities there might be to work for some kind of quantum company, depending on how the what the field is like by the time I finish my PhD. Um, and I also really enjoy science communication. And I think as the quantum field develops, there'll be more and more need to communicate quantum physics to a range of audiences. So there might be um, opportunities there, either as a career or alongside a job in industry and academia to keep doing quantum science communication as well. Well, that's that's really interesting, um, Maria and Yeva. Some 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 fascinating uh, food for thought there about uh, about quantum science and technology. Th- thanks for coming on the podcast, and also thanks for taking part in our contributor network. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Next week, Physics World is celebrating quantum science and technology. And our editor-in-chief, Mateen Durrani, joins me to talk about the event and what we have planned for the week beginning of the 14th of June. Hi, Mateen. Hi, Hamish. So, Mateen, what is the idea behind Quantum Week? Well, the idea behind Quantum Week is to bring um, people coming to Physics World website a real extra dose of quantum physics content. And we know it's one of the most interesting areas in physics right now with loads of exciting science, loads of applications, quantum computing, quantum information, quantum technology. And really the week was inspired by an event that IP Publishing ran last year. Uh, You'll remember Hamish, which we did in partnership with the University of Science and Technology in China, where we had a huge online conference. And I think it had over four and a half thousand delegates. So on the back of that, uh, there was a lot of interest to bring uh, people coming to Physics World a load of extra quantum content during the week of 14th to 18th of June. And, you know, I was saying, you know, quantum physics is really popular on the Physics World website, so much so that we are starting a new bi-monthly newswire that people can sign up to. We've recently brought out the first ever quantum science and technology briefing uh, magazine in digital and paper form. And we've also uh, started, as you know, a great uh, student contributor network in quantum physics where PhD students around the world are writing short research updates for the Physics World website, all about some of the great science, uh, quantum science and technology that's going on. So really, Quantum Week is kind of celebration of all things quantum and uh, bringing together some of the different strands that we've had running at Physics World over the last um, 12 months. One of the highlights of the week will be a a series of six live webinars from companies that are involved in quantum science and technology. Can you give us a preview? Yeah, there's six altogether, Hamish. So there's some on uh, things like quantum processing, the future of quantum computing, uh, quantum computational advantage. And there's another one that really caught my eye on. um, It's a roadmap for the quantum internet. And that's featuring Tracy Northup from the University of Innsbruck and uh, Harold Olivier from the French Institute for Research in Computer Science and Automation in France. And so those two will be doing one of the uh, six webinars. So that'll be, um, and they're all free to watch. So encourage um, listeners to sign up for those for next week. 
And it's not just webinars. We're, we're going to be publishing two uh, podcasts next week um, devoted to all things quantum. One of those is the Physics World Stories podcast, which is hosted by Andrew Glester. So, Mateen, who will Andrew be talking to? So Andrew's going to be talking to, you probably remember him, Hamish, Carlo Rovelli, who shot to fame uh, a few five or six years ago with a a really successful popular science book called Seven Brief Lessons in Physics. And he had a couple of others after that about time. And he's just got a new book out called Helgoland, all about some of the early days of quantum physics. And um, it promises uh, to be an interesting interview with with Carlo. I remember I interviewed him uh, a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's always good value for money, got lots to say, uh, very thoughtful. His books are very entertaining and deep, but lucidly written. So, that should be one to look forward to for next week. And next week's weekly podcast, Hamish, that's also got a quantum theme, doesn't it? That's right. Next Thursday's weekly podcast features two interviews that look at quantum technology companies at very different stages of development. Our colleague Margaret Harris is in conversation with David Auschelam and Jay Schrankler of the Duality Startup Accelerator which aims to give a boost to new quantum technology companies in the Chicago area. And I am chatting with Alan Barretts, who's chief executive of Canada's D-Wave Systems. And that's a company that was founded way back in 1999, where I don't think I'd even heard of a quantum computer. And it delivered its first commercial quantum processor a decade ago. So, Two very different takes, one on very young quantum companies and one from a very established quantum company. And I should also mention, Mateen, that we're enhancing our coverage of the latest quantum research next week. And we'll also be highlighting some of the feature articles on quantum science and technology that we've published over the past year. So you can look forward to everything from Herald and Entanglement to Quantum Enhanced Microscopy. So stay tuned. And Mateen, I believe we're running a quiz today to promote Quantum Week. Yeah, that's right, Hamish. You're not going to get a get away lightly. So you know, you know, I love my quizzes, Hamish. And uh, this one's actually been written for us by um, people at the Harwell campus, um, which is a, a campus in Oxfordshire, um, home to places like uh, the Rutherford Appleton Laboratory, the Diamond Synchrotron, uh, the ISIS Muon and Neutron Source. So they've put together this quiz. So there's ten questions, Hamish. Um, you've not seen the questions before, and uh, it's multiple choice. So four possible answers. So I'm going to start. There's 10. So we'll give you a mark at the end. See how well you do. And I promise you haven't seen these before. I, I know what the answers are. So uh, let's see how well you do. Um, so question one, Hamish. Um, what was the name of the scientist who proposed the principle behind the dilution refrigerator while working at the Atomic Research Energy Establishment on the Harwell campus in the 1950s? And these dilution refrigerators, Hamish, they um, they cool things down to sort of uh, low temperature. Um, so was it A, Andre Hines, B, Hines London, C, Hines Rome, or D, Fritz Mendelssohn? Oh, my gosh, that's that's a really difficult one. Um, whew. Perhaps maybe a bit before my time uh, is my excuse. Um, I have to say, Mateen, I, I don't know the answer Brilliant. to that question. Guess, Hamish. Uh, B. Correct. <laughs> well, that was a lucky guess. 
Well done. As my old uh, chemistry teacher used to say at school when we had multiple choice, a monkey could have done better than that. You know, so you, you'd well done. You got one out, of, one out of one so far. You're doing really well. Heinz London it was. And in fact, uh, according to Wikipedia, he was a very heavy smoker and um, died of lung cancer. So don't smoke, kids. Uh, question two. What was the name of the company owned by De Beers that launched the world's first quantum grade diamond? Was it A, Blue Nile, B, Rio Tinto, C, Element 6, or D, Hatton Garden Jewelers? Ooh, thank God. I do know the answer to that one. Um, I've even interviewed people from uh, Element 6, so I'm going to say it's Element 6. Well done, Hamish. You're doing really well. 100% record. Two out of two. All right, so the next question, question three out of ten. So this is, what does the acronym... N-I-S-Q-C stand for? Does it stand for near-term intermediate scale quantum computer, nuclear isotopic spin quantum computer, C, noisy intermediate scale quantum computer, or D, nano-integrated superconducting quantum computer? Do you remember what I've just said, Hamish? <laughs> Can you remember any of those that I just told you? Well, I know that noise is a big problem with quantum computers, and I know that that physicists are trying to create quantum computers that can operate uh, and, and still be noisy at the same time. So I'm going to go for the one where the N stands for noise. Spawn Hamish. So that was C. So N-I-S-Q-C stands for noisy intermediate scale quantum computer. You do well, Hamish. Three out of three. Uh, so question four out of 10. So the Science and Technology Facilities Council's cryogenics team, they recently repurposed a cryocooler that was developed for the Planck space mission. And they redeveloped it for the quantum imaging hub in Glasgow. So what temperature does the Planck cooler cool down to? Um, so can it cool down to A, 4 Kelvin, B, 0.4 Kelvin, C, 40 Kelvin, or D, 0.04 Kelvin. So I had to check this, Hamish, and actually this um, this cryocooler that they've um, repurposed is a is a, a consists of nanowires that they use to detect single photons. So they use this cryocooler that was on the Planck mission that you know studied the anisotropy of the CMB. So they repurposed it in Glasgow. So which temperature does it cool down to? Okay, again, I'm going to have to guess on that. Um... I would guess that it's going to be 0.4 Kelvin. Fail. Wrong, Hamish. So the answer was 4 Kelvin. Not quite as good as you think. Um, so yeah, it was A, 4 Kelvin. So still pretty good. Um, four degrees above absolute zero. But yeah, 4 Kelvin. So you've got, where are we now? Three out of four. So question five. Uh, so RAL Space's quantum space laboratory, it uses ultra-cold atoms cooled by lasers. What is the effective temperature of these atoms measured in? So is it measured in Kelvin, millikelvin, microkelvin, or nanokelvin? Oh dear, that's another uh, another tough question. Um, well, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna think that uh, you, you know that this lab is at the cutting cutting edge of uh, cryogenic technology. So I'm gonna go for nanokelvin. Afraid you're three more orders of magnitude now, Hamish. It was micro Kelvin, um, but they hope to get to nano Kelvin soon. So, you know, optimistic thinking there. So, yeah, three out of five. So, the answer there was C, micro Kelvin. All right, five questions to go, Hamish. 
60% so far. What is the maximum number of qubits that a quantum computer has so far ever been built with? Is it A, 1,000, B, 65, C, 91, or D, 750? It was built by IBM, if you want a clue, Hamish. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I suppose it depends on your definition of what a quantum computer is. Um, could you give me those options again? <laughs> so A was 1,000, B was 65, C was 91, or D was 750. And it was by, it's been made by IBM. Okay, I'm going to go for 91. Not quite there, Hamish. It was 65. Um, but apparently they're planning for 127, so not far off. Um, so three out of six. Right, question seven, four to go, Hamish. Uh, Jonathan Jones and Michele Mosca. In 1998, they built an early quantum computer at the University of Oxford. It was the first to ha have how many qubits? Did it have one qubit, two, three, or four? Well, I should know this because I actually met Michaela Mosca. He's, <laughs> he's based at uh, the University of Waterloo at the moment and uh, was very kind to have a, a long chat with me about quantum computers. Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, can you have a computer with one qubit? Maybe not. So maybe the answer is two. Absolutely. Well done, Hamish. Two qubits is correct. So you're on four out of seven. Doing well here. Um, three questions to go. So question eight, the UK Quantum Computing and Simulation Hub, led by the University of Oxford, is developing quantum computers based on what kind of technology? Is it A, iron traps, B, superconducting circuits, C, colour centres in diamond, or D, all of the above? Oh, I'm not sure about that one. Um... Can I can I uh, sort of display my uh, my utmost confidence in UK physicists and say all of the above? Your confidence is not unfounded, Hamish. Correct. They've got all of those um, technologies on underway. So yeah, five out of eight. Well done. Answer D. All of the above. Question nine. Tim Radford's 2018 book, The Consolations of Physics, had the strange subtitle "The Solace of Quantum." What was the book about, Hamish? Was it A, the physics of the James Bond movie, Quantum of Solace? B, quantum physics for people learning alone? C, how not to fail a quantum physics exam? Or D, was it about the Voyager space mission? Uh, once again, um, I have absolutely no idea. Um, I'm afraid I didn't re read that book. Apologies to the author. Um, I'm going to... Uh, Actually, I'm going to go for the last one for some reason, the space mission. Correct, Hamish. This is by Tim Radford, who was former science correspondent at The Guardian. And apparently he wrote this book, The Constellations of Physics, brackets, The Solace of Quantum. And you think it's about quantum physics, but actually it's all about, um, in a sort of world of upheaval, the sort of comfort you can take in the sort of intellectual pursuit of physics. So it's kind of a love letter to physics. And apparently he... Um, wrote The Solace of Quantum because he was in a grumpy mood about Brexit or something. Um, and apparently it is about Voyager and it is about, you know, the, the you know love to physics. Um, so, yeah, it's about Voyager, nothing to do with quantum physics specifically. So six out of nine. Last question, Hamish. Um, question 10. What was the name of Schrodinger's cat? Was it A, Tangle, B, Kitty, C, Quanto or D, Albert? 
Hmm, I didn't realize that Schrodinger had an actual cat. Um, oh, uh, I, I mean, I suppose it it could be Albert because I know that that certainly Einstein had uh, ha- had his concerns about um, about things like. Um, superposition, etc. And maybe calling it Albert um, would be a taunt to um, to Albert Einstein. So I'm going to go with Albert. I'm afraid you're wrong there. Apparently it's a trick question, Hamish. There was no answer. So you, uh, you could have said, well, no, actually, what? The, no, you've, you've got a point. There was no correct answer. So you can say what you like. So yeah, you've got um, seven out of 10. There was no name for Schrodinger's cat. So seven out of 10. So 70%. I think that's a first at any UK university. So well done, Hamish. And uh, don't blame me about the question. So these were set by Dan Metcalf, John Van Dor, Monica Zemmler at the Harwell Science and Innovation Campus, Simon Plant at the National Quantum Computing Centre, which is also on the Harwell campus, and Rupesh Srivastava at the University of Oxford. So if you don't like them, blame them, not me, but seven out of 10. Well done, Hamish. You are officially a quantum expert. Well, thanks, Mateen. Um, I, I, I thought those questions were, were, were pretty good. So um, many thanks to, uh, to, to the people that set them. And um, those questions are uh, on the Physics World website at the moment, if you'd like to uh, share the quiz with your friends and, and see how they do. And please do uh, tune in all of next week for Quantum Week. Thanks for joining me, Mateen. Thanks, Hamish. And yeah, I do encourage everybody to um, visit the Physics World website during Quantum Week for those webinars we mentioned and the extra quantum content and uh, uh, and really enjoy some of the you know, cutting edge work uh, in quantum physics. Should be fun. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast. Thanks to Yeva Chapaita, Maria Villaris, Margaret Harris, and Mateen Durrani for joining me today. And a special thanks to our producer, Callum Jelf. We'll be back again next week. But in the meantime, please do check out the Physics World website so you can enjoy all of our Quantum Week coverage. Physics World.